Well, we continue our series in the Hall of Faith. We're studying some of the patriarchs in Scripture that really encourage us. We look at their life story. Not only do we learn so much about their individual lives and, and what God is teaching them, but they're all an analogy. They're all something to be transferred to us. Their story was particularly picked by the Holy Spirit, given to Moses in the book of Genesis to help us understand, to grow in our faith, to really help apply what, what the ancients learned in our journey to know our Heavenly Father, to, to know the Creator God, to know El Shaddai, Jehovah Hireh, and of course, eventually, Jesus Christ, the full manifestation of God himself. So life is about seasons. It really is. And God shows us how this works in nature. We look at seasons and how they change. We're, we've just gone into a new season, and we were ready for it. So when we see it in nature, we also see it in our lives, too. And each season of life prepares us for the next season. Since we only have a short time here on earth, we should take notice. We should take notice of these seasons by asking a few questions. Why, God? Why am I here? What are you doing? How does my life work into your wonderful plan? Of course, even the bad times, the bad struggles, the, the tough times. And when it comes to our life, there are some things we cannot change. We, we can't change when we were born, where we were born, the family to which we were born, some of the things about our talents and how God has made us to be. We can't change those things, but God uses them. And it's, it behooves us to discover what it is. And God's ready to reveal it if we'll be listening, if we'll, we'll work with him, flow with him, walk with him. And of course, we learn as believers, first and foremost, that our lives have providential purpose. What that means is God has an individual purpose. Just as every one of us has a very unique fingerprint, so each one of us are an imprint of God himself made in his image and with a purpose here in this life. If we're breathing in and out, we're here for a reason. And I have learned that knowing that one truth right there, that wonderful truth, affects every decision I have made in my life because when we live with purpose we will most certainly naturally embrace the next season with expectation and not dread. Today, we're going to see this powerfully, powerfully illustrated in the life of our next patriarch, Joseph. So today, I'm going to study the life of Joseph in a unique way. And of course, there's so much story here to break down in the few short minutes that we have. But, you know, I love doing this to help us understand because really, we know the story, don't we? You know the story of Joseph. In fact, one of the things I wanted to mention to you is that what you see in the movies today are all just copycats of the original storyteller. The whole drama, the whole thing that goes on, the, you know, all, the, Joseph's story is told over and over again, and the Count of Monte Cristo goes on and on. And again, God's the original storyteller. So, but what is important for us to understand here today is what was God doing in Joseph, Joseph's life? How does it play into this grand story of, of how God has made us and and and? how we fit into God's plan, and how, do, how does God use it all? Well, in Joseph's life, we're going to see that, and I want to begin in the first season of his life. I call it the season of dreams, and we can identify because we start in this life with dreams, don't we? We, we start in this life fresh, 
Matter of fact, we've, we've witnessed maybe some failures, some nightmares, but for us, we're like, you know, I'm ready for my own dream, and I'm going to go at this life with, with full expectation that God's going to bless me, and it's going to be an awesome experience. So let's look at Genesis chapter 37, the first few verses there, as we begin the story about Joseph and his season of dreams. Jacob lived in the land where his father stayed. Now, we, we studied Jacob last week, and we know who Jacob is. He's the son, one of the sons of Isaac, and Jacob has built his own little family, and it says he comes back to Canaan. Now, Canaan land is important because it is all about the land and the legacy. It's all about Canaan land that God said, look, to Abraham, this is all going to be yours, so it's important for Jacob to get back there, but remember, it's still not his land. It is only the promise of it being his land. So he goes there because why? God told him to go there. Verse 2, this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, otherwise known as Jacob, the name that God gave him changed his name. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him, the multicolored robes, robe as we know. Verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, hey, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up. And stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine, bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to rule over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream that he had had. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. He said, listen, I had another dream. You could hear them all groan, oh. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Notice, I didn't say this on Thursday night, but you notice that Jacob interpreted it. Jacob knew exactly who he was talking about. He's the one that said it was about him and his mother and the brothers. So they all kind of knew what was going on here, but Joseph is hated for it. Joseph, it looks like, and of course, Joseph doesn't make his case any better by walking around and and kind of playing it up. Now, why was Joseph doing this? And, And of course, we see Jacob essentially doing the same thing. Joseph is one of the sons, and he's not, he's only related by father to the rest of his brothers. Joseph is hated for so many reasons, but mainly because he was the son of Rachel. And as we'll remember, Rachel is the absolute love of Jacob's life. And Rachel only had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And he was very, 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 very brokenhearted when Joseph, uh, I'm sorry, when Rachel passes away. And so in his old age, of course, he had the children in his old age. He, he, he was, it, there was a connection there that was very unique. And there was, of course, just like his dad, there was preferential treatment. Just like Isaac had treated Esau with a greater love, 
Jacob is doing the same thing. And so not only does he cause his son Joseph to stumble, but all of the rest of his brothers, um, his sons rather, to stumble. So we have a dysfunction going on here. And so all the brothers hate Joseph. And yet God uses this, as we will see. You know, we ask ourselves a question when it comes to dreams and things like this. You know, it, it's supernatural element of the story that we cannot and we should never miss is that God is speaking to Joseph. And we ask, you know, we, it's like, well, why does God speak to some people and not to others? Well, we have to make some assumptions here. From the very beginning, of course, we have retrospect. In other words, we know the rest of the story and we know the Bible when it comes to character. So we can assume that God gave the dreams to Joseph because God knew that Joseph had the capacity to carry it. That God knew that Joseph was going to be the one that he could place there. That all the other internal factors, the character that was going to be required to go through what he was getting ready to go through was, was all there. And so it's interesting. Here are all the brothers hating him because they don't see what God sees. That's important to see right there, by the way. It's not what we think. It's what God thinks. It's not what we see when we see a diamond in the rough, when we see a young person. I am absolutely glad that God saw that in me. Don't, aren't you, Jason? Uh, Jamie? Yeah, Jason, you know, you're Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> aren't you glad that God saw you? And here I was, a little, a little convict in the making. And God said, no, David, I have a different plan for you. And I'm so very grateful for that. But if you had asked anybody during that time in my life whether they thought that I would end up being a pastor and doing what I do today and having experienced the grace of God and done the things that I've done, traveled to the nations that I've traveled to, they'd say, absolutely no way. So here Joseph finds himself in a place where he's hated, and yet he's just a simple son. Again, he's not making it this, this easy because he's kind of enjoying making his brothers uncomfortable. So the time comes where the season begins to change, as it always does. See, for us to prepare for what God has for us, we usually have to go through some valleys. We usually have to go through some struggles because character doesn't become the kind of character that stands the test of struggle and battle and, and this world until it is tested, until it is refined in the fire. So Joseph, we know, has... So let's, let's, let's look at his dreams. How's he going to get there? How's he going to get to be where his family bows down, where his mom and dad bow down? And it, and it has some kind of a, 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 an amazing thing. Well, to get there, there's got to be some struggle. So the season begins to change. And we find the rest of the story there in 37, Genesis 37, starting in verse 11. Jacob says, or Israel says, hey, go check on your brothers. Hadn't heard from them. I don't know where they are. They've taken the sheep way out into the wilderness. Go check on them. So he sends Joseph, which may not have been the, real, the best idea on, on Jacob's part. Let's send my, my young son, who the rest of the brothers hate. So he goes, and of course, Joseph is up for it. He's like, oh, man, you mean I get an opportunity to embarrass my brothers? <laughs> Sign me up. And so off he goes to find his brothers. You can't find him in one particular place. They say, oh, no, they've moved on. So he gets even further away from home, more isolated. And as his brothers see him coming, they say, look at him. Look at him. Here he comes. Here comes that old dreamer. 
Here comes the one that's favored by dad. Look at he's wearing that stupid ornamental robe. They see him coming. He might have had like some gold inlay in it so it's kind of shining off his, his, his robe. And so he comes into a situation, of course, where he is judged and his brothers do the unthinkable. And what do they do? Well, they grab him and they shove him down into a cistern, a dry, a dry cistern or a well. These cisterns were just open wells in the middle of the desert and they would fill up when during the rainy season and would hold that water until such a time as it was used up or it would dry up. In this particular time of the year, it was dry. So in he goes, and, and you can imagine, you know, they don't tell us, but you can imagine, I mean, he wasn't quiet. He was yelling, hey, what are you guys doing? Stopping him. And he's probably making a big racket. They're all getting a laugh at his expense. But their hatred had come to such a level that they were not only going to embarrass him, but they were thinking of ways that they could kill him. And, of course, Reuben steps in and says, guys, 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 settle down. You can't do this. Can you imagine what this would do to our father? Yeah, whatever. So he convinces them, well, just leave him in the cistern. He'll, he'll learn his lesson if he just stays in there long enough. Reuben has to go. He comes back. And what has happened during that time is a Midianite caravan is going by. And you can just imagine, there they are out there in the, in, in the, the grassy land that the animals are feeding down in the valley, and they see up on a ridge, a caravan, a trail that is going throughout the Mideast, heading toward Egypt. And they say, man, here's a great opportunity for us. Let's sell the buddy. The 20 shekels of silver will be done with him. We'll come up with some excuse for dad. But it's that passion of the moment where they do something that's unthinkable, and they sell their brother into slavery. So they got the money, and Reuben comes back only to find out that Joseph has been sold. And of course, he's panicking. He's like, how could you do this? What are we going to do? Well, I said, well, let's just take his robe. Let's, let's kill an animal. Let's put some blood all over it and bring it back to dad and just say he got you know, attacked and eaten. And that's what they do. And of course, Jacob's heart is absolutely broken. And you can imagine, he, is, he has only just recently lost the love of his life. And he looks at these scoundrel sons of his. He's in his heart has to be thinking that there was, you know, something afoul in, in the experience. But then we switch to Joseph, who now has had an amazing change of season. We call it the season of confinement. And it's during this time that he is, again... He's, he's in slavery. He goes to the, the slavery block where they drop off, and he is bought by Potiphar, who is a captain of the guard. He is a very well-placed, well-known man. He's, he's, he's in a situation where, of course, the, the people, that, the, the servants he buys are going to be living in some bit of opulence. They're going to have a, a decent experience. They look at Joseph. He's young. He's healthy. He's strong. You know, well, let's bring this guy into the house. Let's let him be a servant boy in the house of the captain of the garden. That's exactly where Joseph goes. Now, what's so unique about Joseph, as we begin to see his character develop, we begin to see something about that is so unique about this young man that we, got, we have to pay attention to, is that as he goes into this season of confinement, Joseph is willing to bloom where he's planted. Joseph is seeing, I don't know what's going on here, but you know what? I'm going to look at he's, he's kind of one of those glass, glass half-full guys. Well, you know, I don't know that I've ever would have had this kind of experience. I don't know when I was seeing the world the way I'm seeing the world. And so what he does is he embraces the moment. 
And so instead of dragging his feet, looking at every opportunity to cut the throat of his enslaver, he says, I'll just, I'll just prosper. I'll just use this moment to, to increase. And so he doesn't know what's going on, but he, he takes the, the, the job in hand, and he begins to do a great job. So much so that the Captain Potiphar looks at him and he goes, yeah, you're an amazing kid. It turns out that Joseph has an incredible administrative gift. He knows how to organize. He thinks in terms of, he's always, and, and how does that gift move forward? I'll tell you how it moves forward. Through a heart that is open. Through a heart that is willing through a heart that understands that I am caught up in a providential purpose. I don't know why I'm struggling right now, but somehow, some way, it is going to work out for my good. We'll come back to that. So Joseph embraces it. He increases. He gets elevated. Potiphar says, look, I'm giving you my whole household. You're a slave, but buddy, you're, uh, run the house. It's all yours. Potiphar was able to turn his back completely. Joseph ran it. And so you can imagine he had, you know, he was eating really well. He probably had excellent quarters. Now he's not, he's not free. Certainly not free. But when it comes to being in bondage, when it comes to being a servant, he had a pretty good gig. Well, just when things are looking up, Joseph goes into another dive. Potiphar's wife, as you read the story, won't go into too much detail, but some of you know the experience. She begins to come on to Joseph, and Joseph, again, his character shines, as we'll see over and over again. He's put in a situation where he's just like, you know, what is it going to hurt? You know, he's living in a godless land where this is not really as much an issue as you, it might be to a Jew or to a God-fearing individual. But Joseph, as we have found, has carried that with him. So when she does come on to him, he says, no, no, this is, this is wicked. I'm, I'm not going to do that. My, my, uh, my father, my leader, Potiphar, trusts me. And so how could I ever do such, something so wicked? And of course, Potiphar's wife turns on him. He runs away. She keeps his robe. She uses it to frame him. And just when things were looking good, Joseph is thrown into prison. He goes from treachery to a tragic situation to just unbearable confinement. He's thrown into a dungeon. And all the while, he's got to be thinking to himself, the first moment he sits down in that rat-infested, dank area, thinking, what have I done to deserve this? Nothing. Joseph has done nothing wrong. In fact, Joseph very much is now becoming a type of Christ, which I'll put together for you to the end. But he is, he, here he is. He's, he's absolutely without accusation. He has done nothing wrong. His brothers did what they did unjustly. He was sold into slavery. He's now in prison, and he didn't do anything wrong. He, he was accused of a wrongdoing that he didn't do. And there he is. Folks, and it's in this place of confinement where, again, character is tested. And, you know, sometimes the majority of the things that we suffer, we've brought upon ourselves. Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. You know, that scripture, that, that, that proverb that says, a man, his own folly ruins his life, and yet his heart rages against the Lord, is so absolutely true. I mean, here, I'm a counselor of many, many years, and, I, and, and of course, you know, having walked in it myself. 
I know we bring the consequences upon ourselves, and so much of what we suffer, we deserve. But not this guy. And so his, he's being tested as he's walking through this, as he's suffering for something he didn't do. And again, this is a point of real test for him. Follow me. Is he going to blame God for this? Is he going to get angry with God? Is he going to say, you know, shine it all. Here, I, God gives me this ridiculous dream. He sets me up only to put me in, in, the, in a prison where I'm suffering. You know, this, this, this line of thinking is something that we all suffer with from time to time. And you know what, folks? It's a season of confinement. It's a season of struggle designed just for you. And what are you going to do with it? That's the question. Did God stop loving Joseph? No. Does God stop loving you? Absolutely not. Is God's hand still on your life? Did God forget about us? Did God forget about Joseph? Nope. As we'll find, this experience works right into exactly what God is doing. So how does a man go from a prison to the palace? Well, it starts right here inside his heart. And so we see this amazing young man. I can't wait to meet him because we all are going to one day. Can't wait to meet him because what does this young man do? Well, he just says, you know, <laughs> better to make lemonade out of lemons. And so here I am in the prison and he's, he's poking his head through the bars and he sees the captain of, of, of the, the, uh, uh, the prison situation, the guy, the, the, the warden, I guess you could call him. He's walking around and he can see it's kind of disorganized. You know, some guys are getting food, some are not. He's getting trouble. He's getting blamed. He's under pressure, a lot of stress. Joseph leans to those bars. Sir, you know, I noticed there's a couple of things that might make this a whole lot easier for you. You know, the time that you're feeding, the way that you're feeding, you know, the way you're organizing this and organizing, I can help you with that. And the prison guard's got to be thinking, you know, I'll just give the kid a chance. And sure enough, <laughs> he works himself into a position where he's the top prisoner, where he's walking around and he's making the guard, the warden's job, absolutely easy because Joseph is gifted. He's called and gifted. Instead of using those gifts or to just, just saying, you know what, I'm not going to do anything. God has let me down, and so I'm going to be flat-footed. I'm going to drag my feet. In fact, I'm just going to just give up. That's not what Joseph does. Because, as I shared with you earlier, when you know your life has providential purpose, every little piece matters. Every little experience works in. How will we endure the test? How will we come out on the other side of the refiner's fire and the launderer's soap? How will we? Joseph embraces every bit of it, and he is then elevated. Again, he's experiencing it's still a prison, still, still, still not freedom, but he's making the best of it. Well, so that's a season of confinement. And then comes another season. Because you know what? The moment you pass the test of one season, it prepares you for the next. And, and I want to say this before I move on to the next season. And that is, you know what? We can be stuck in an endless cycle of a season. It reminds me of C.S. Lewis's uh, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. Remember what they said in the dark period? They said, always winter, never Christmas. That truly describes a life of a person who's caught in a season, just can't get out because 
We're not embracing what it is that God is trying to teach us. Well, let's move on. So it comes into another season. And I call this the season of grace and gifts. The season of grace and gifts where it begins, God begins to show a little bit more. God is, there's a little bit of light that's starting to peek through and Joseph sees it. And now he's beginning to kind of put some, some of the story together as we often do. As we begin to say, okay, hmm, okay, maybe, maybe, just maybe God can use some of the brokenness of my life. And so into the story comes the cupbearer and the baker. They are two individuals who have been serving the, the pharaoh, the king, and it fall out of disfavor for who knows what. Maybe he spilled a little wine on the king, and that's all it takes. Throw him in prison. Or the baker, batch of bread that didn't rise just right. Throw him in prison. And there they are. And they walk in, and, and, and Joseph, of course, they tell him, hey, take care of these guys. You know, they came from the palace, and Joseph's thinking, okay, you know, just another couple of blokes who I've got to care for. And yet one day he wakes up and, and there they are. He comes to give them their breakfast and he knows them, notices that both of them are very downcast, very depressed. And he's like, you know, once again, Joseph, because his, his heart is full, because he's looking for God moments, he looks at and he asks us, why are you guys so downcast? What's going on? Well, we both had dreams. And so the cupbearer shares, you know, he's, he's saying, yeah, we had these dreams. We're totally confused. And now Joseph, here it is. Joseph's thinking, you know, I'm a dreamer. And I've had some pretty amazing dreams. And you know what? That, instead of me just saying, well, dreams really stink, I wouldn't believe a word of it. Joseph says, well, tell me your dreams. Maybe, maybe God has a solution for you. For the first time in our story, Joseph begins to communicate to us through the story that he never has given up on God. That God is still there. He doesn't know what God is doing. He doesn't know how it's going to work out, but he has not given up on him. So he says, look, <laughs> dreams, can they not be interpreted by God himself? Tell me your dreams. So the cupbearer tells his dream. And the cupbearer says, look, I saw, you know, uh, myself being, you know, my head lifted up. And, and I, I'm just trying to remember for the sake of time the whole, the whole story. But bottom line, he tells a story and a, a part of his dream. And he goes, you know what? You know what your dream means is that in three days' time, you're going to be restored to the palace. You're heading back, buddy. And then the baker looks and he goes, wow, that's cool. I'll tell you my dream. And so he tells his dream. And Pharaoh, uh, Joseph looks at him and goes, yeah, not such a good outcome for you. In three days' time, your head's going to be lifted off. In other words, you're going to die. And he goes on to tell him, you'll be impaled. I don't know if he needed to tell him that part of the story, but oh well. And it happened exactly as he said. In three days' time, both of them brought up, came in and dragged him out of the prison. The cupbearer is restored, and the baker is beheaded and impaled. And as he's walking out the door, Joseph looks at the, uh, the, the cupbearer and says, and no, because he knows he's going to live. He says, don't forget me. Don't forget me. Once you get in front of the palace, please understand that, that I am here. I was sold into slavery. I, 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 none of what I'm experiencing do I deserve. Please, when you come into a place of importance and influence, don't forget me. The story goes on to say that that's exactly what he does, he forgets him. The cupbearer forgets about Joseph. Here we go again. 
It says two full years. Again, where he has to realize, you know, what use is it for me to try to do anything good for anyone? I mean, here I go and save this guy's life, or I, I mean, I communicate something for him, and I'm, I'm being used by you, God, and, and yet it doesn't seem to amount to anything. Scripture tells us that he becomes downcast. He's really struggling. He's at that moment where he's just really at the bottom. Joseph has done everything to, 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 to be cooperative with the struggles of life, knowing that God was somehow in it, holding on with a white-knuckle fist, He's at that moment, and again, it's another season. And as the season begins to finish out, he has passed the test. Two years later, the Pharaoh himself has a dream. And he sees these these grains, these beautiful stalks of grain just filled with grain, and then another nasty one that's emaciated and falling apart and dried up eats those up. Seven of them, and then seven more come. And then, the, then he sees another dream of these beautiful, sleek, uh, you know, uh, beef cattle being swaddled up by emaciated ones. And so he calls in all the wise men of the land, and he says, look, I'm going to tell you this dream. You tell me what it means. They have no idea what it means. And thou, the cupbearer, is like, you know what? I remember a guy. There is this young man, there is this guy that I met in prison during that time when, you know, I was not really doing well with you. But, yeah, there's this young guy that's in the prison that interprets dreams. Pharaoh says, go get him. Pharaoh knows that these dreams are important. He needs, he needs an interpretation right now. So they bring Joseph in. And... He comes and he asks Joseph. Joseph gets all cleaned up. They cut his beard, cut his hair, make him, you know, make him presentable to the Pharaoh. He comes before the Pharaoh and he's standing there. And the Pharaoh looks at me and he says, I have heard you can interpret dreams. And here it is, folks. This is the most amazing part of this story that, that begins to ramp. This shows us that Joseph has passed the test, that Joseph, through all of his suffering, all of his struggle, the dream was untouched. Joseph is beginning to see that God has providentially placed him in this situation. Rather than to take the glory for himself, he says this. Check it out. I myself cannot do it. Are you kidding, Joseph? What are you doing, buddy? He could kill you right on the spot. What do you mean you can't do it? Looks at the cupbearer, the cup, kill him and kill him. Get him out of my presence. Well, you'll see why he does that. I myself cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh a sound answer. Yahweh, the creator of the universe, El Shaddai, the Almighty, will tell you what your dream is, sir. And Pharaoh is thinking to himself, well, Okay, let's give it a shot. This boy looks unique. There's something unique about him. So he tells him the dream, and Joseph listens to it and says, both of your dreams are the same thing. Seven years of absolute prosperity are coming, but they will be swallowed up by seven years of famine, and what you had gained will be not only wiped out, but your, your whole nation will be destroyed as a result of this famine. And in Genesis chapter 41 Pharaoh says this, can we find anyone else like this man in whom the spirit of God abides? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, 
Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning as wise as you. You will be in charge of my house, and all my people are to obey your commands. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I hereby place you over all the land of Egypt. Folks, you got to understand, you know the greatest civilization other than China in the world at this period of time in world history is Egypt. It's Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger and clothed him in garments of fine linen and placed a gold chain around his neck. I believe that's where that all began, right there. Gold chain around the neck. Now, come on, it's a joke, folks. Wake up, wake up. All right, 43. Okay, good. Good, thank you. <laughs> Just a little nod will help me out here. Okay, good. Thanks, Tim. All right. Verse 43. He had Joseph ride in the second, his second chariot with men calling out before him, bow the knee. Bow the knee? Where we heard that before. So he placed him over all the land of Egypt. Wow. Talk about prison to praise. Talk about your life situation turning all around. But what we need to notice before we come to the next season, season, which I call the season of vengeance here in just a moment, as he comes into this season, he's beginning to realize that he's being elevated. But notice he's not being elevated by his good looks. He's not being elevated by his family. He's not being elevated because of his wealth. He's being elevated because of his character and his fear of God. And then you know, obviously connected to that is his gifting. His gifting is surrendered for the use for the glory of God. He could have just said, yeah, you know, tell me your dream. He, he did not take the pathway of personal self-aggrandizement. God gave that to him. Because he went low and said, I, I can't tell you anything, but the God I serve can and Pharaoh said, well, if the spirit, let, let's bless this guy. The thing that he wanted, the things that, that, that inside at the heart of every young man was given to him without even asking because he feared God, because he surrendered to God, and he used his gifts for God's glory. That is something we are not to miss. It is so absolutely biblical. We'll see this theme happen over and over and over and over again through every single one of God's servants throughout the Bible. It is so obvious that it all is then manifested in the Son of God himself there in Philippians chapter 2, as we're told. So now we come into this season. A great famine, of course, as the time of, of prosperity comes, and Joseph, being so wise and using that wonderful administrative gift, he's able to store up so much grain that it was uncountable. They become the storehouse of the earth because of this young man. And so that time goes, and then the famine comes, and of course, that affects the whole region of that part of the world, maybe the whole earth, we don't know. I suppose we could study it if we needed to. But there is suffering, and who else is suffering but his own family? Jacob and his brothers are all going to die. And so they hear about Egypt having food. And so he says, stop staring at one another. You guys go down there. And they don't realize as they stand before this young 
Pharaoh-like prince. There he is, all dressed in the garb. They don't recognize him because he's got that black eyeliner on. He's got the little headpiece on. He's probably shaved bald. He's holding the two, the two scepters, the crook and the other thing that they have. And there he's got the little skirt going on, bare-chested, pure-looking Egyptian godlike man. And so there they are standing before him. Joseph knows who they are right off the bat. Smelling like sheep, dusty, bunch of Bedouin nomads. He looks at them, they're fighting with one another as they walk in the room. Yeah, that's my family. Can't miss them. He knows who they are, but they don't know who he is. Why? Because they sold him. They never knew, they, never, they probably didn't give him much of a thought thereafter. And there he is standing. And Joseph can hardly believe his fortune. Because now in this season of vengeance, his heart is tested once again. Because it'll always be tested. As long as you're in this world, it doesn't matter what you have learned. It doesn't matter what you've discovered. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what you, how much of the Bible you know. You are going to continue be, to be refined until the day you die. Because we all go through one season to the next. We're just, we're just, that's life. And God wants to put more on your shoulders. God wants to, in your, as you age and become wiser and be, as you take on more life, God wants you to carry more for his glory. He wants you to use your gifts and he wants to place you in places of, of influence out in the community. He wants you to put you in the middle of your family so that you can be salt and light. He wants to do all this, but he's got to get you right on the inside to prepare for it. Well, I don't know that I have, the, I I'm not a dreamer, I'm not an administrator, it doesn't matter. Whatever gift you have, God can use it. Well, Joseph's put in a situation now where, hmm, this could be the real icing on the cake to really make my brothers suffer. Now, he's not going to kill him, which he could have done. But again, he's a God-fearer. He's not going to do that. He knows that murder is wrong. But he can make them suffer. And that's what he goes about to do. He gives them their food because they buy it. Then he puts a silver goblet in their, in their pack, and they go find it. and make, He just wants to absolutely toy with them, mess with them, just, just make them be so frightful. The end goal, as we find out, is he just wants his brother Benjamin back. And so he's going to work that. And he says, look, you get Benjamin. I'm not going to release your other brothers until, we get, until you bring me Benjamin. And once he gets Benjamin, he's going to say, now get lost. And there's nothing they could do. Nothing. But it comes down now as the final season. It's not the final season of Joseph's life, but for our story, we'll finish with this season. I call it the season of forgiveness and divine providence. So, you know, vengeance blinds us. Vengeance and anger and bitterness blinds us. And all we can see is just us getting back at the people who have abused us. And this can be, you know, it can be a micro version. In other words, just the immediate people in your life, your family, the people that you've known, people that have stabbed you in the back. Or it could be life. Could be a government. <laughs> could be whatever. Could be just history, right? The injustices that all of us have experienced from time to time. It could be any of that. And you know what? Any of us can get caught on any one of those things so that we're stuck. Always winter, never Christmas. 
Always one season. And that season of vengeance comes for Joseph. And what is he going to do with it? Well, thank God the story tells us that it doesn't last long because Joseph, he knows. Because why? He now puts the whole story together. He's looking at his brothers, and he can no longer. Initially, the vengeance is blinding him to the, the spiritual reality, but now he sees it. That God allowed him to go through everything that he has gone through for a particular reason. And for me to say, I'm, I'm not even going to share it from my, I'm going to read right what, what we see here in Scripture and how it all shakes down. Because you, you just can't be, this, this has always been my most, most beloved story. Listen to this. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, send everyone away from me. So none of them with Joseph were with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Now, I want to say this before I finish it. He sees that his brothers essentially have broken. He sees when they realize that he's, he intends to keep Benjamin, and, they, and, and they've already had to suffer terribly for what they did to Joseph. The thought of him losing Benjamin would kill their dad. And he sees what goes inside their hearts, and he thinks to himself, they've had enough. And so he begins to break down. Verse 2, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household soon heard of it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But they were unable to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? I would have loved to have been there. Talk about the greatest drama story you've ever seen. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they did so. I am Joseph, your brother. You can see him as the tears are coming down his face. He begins to wipe the makeup off. He pulls off the, the headdress. He says, I'm him, guys. And he becomes that little brother. And yet he has been acting like the one of the greatest princes of the earth the last several years of his life. Please come near me. I'm Joseph, your brother, the one you said you sold into Egypt. You remember him? And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves that you sold me into this place. Here is the key. Because it was to save lives that God sent me before you. For the famine has covered the land these two years, and there'll be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve you as a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. There it is. He's gotten it, hasn't he? He's put it all together. And how did he put it all together? Because of one three-letter word, God. God never left him. God never abandoned him. For the moment you are born, his hand is upon your life. And a lot of us, we're just, a, we're just a box full of broken pieces. Broken pieces of glass that God will then, if we'll let him, make the most beautiful mosaic that could ever be created. That when people stand back and look at it, and because that's what you're going to experience one day, you're going to stand back and you're going to look at your life from the vantage point of heaven, and you're going to see that every piece fit. Every, every single one. Will there be some regret? There will be. 
Because we, are know, we know that there are some people who are not listening, that are not making the right choices. There are those who are, who are stuck in a season. But that does not have to be us. Not now. Not ever. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Oh, my gosh. You see the revelation there? Do you see the theology coming to bear on every broken part of your life? Why do we lose things? Why do we have disaster? Why are we even willing to ask that question? Because if we do, then we're ready for the next season. We're ready for whatever God wants to do in restoration. Whatever God wants to use of the broken pieces of your life. Folks, I'll tell you this. As far as my time, this is the last few minutes to just share my own story. I grew up in poverty. I grew up in tragedy. I pulled a shotgun out of my stepmother's hand as she was preparing to commit suicide. I have seen things and heard things in the family that I grew up in. I would never on God's green earth ever imagine that he could make something of me. And yet, the very moment at the age of 17, now you know why this story is so precious to me. That at the age of 17, I bowed down in my bed and said, God, I give my life to you. Because I see no hope, I see no future where I am now. And I had to walk through a slurry, a slough of memories and consequences I had to look at the world who was, all, all of it was trying to tell me one way or the other that it would never be better than what I had ever experienced. My own dad, who I ended up leading to the Lord, by the way, knocked on my door at the age of 18 and said, David, tell me, what do I got to do? And I said, Dad, get down on your knees. Let's go to Jesus. That's a world that gets turned upside down, doesn't it? The man that you loved and trusted and worshiped, now I'm helping him get set free. See, that's what God can do if you let him, if you just let him in. And it's the simplest of choices. God sent me here and has made me a father to Pharaoh. That's an amazing piece of the story, isn't it? Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. So Joseph breaks down and he forgives his brothers. He's very wise and knows now why everything has happened. This was a rescue plan from the beginning. See, God had planned to judge the region of the world with a great famine, but God has determined to protect his promise and his people. He positions Joseph in a perfect place to set the stage for not only God's people to be safe, but to prosper to the tune of millions after 400 years of being in the most fertile place on the planet. Now, of course, they're sold into slavery too. And we'll talk about that next week. But God prospers Abraham's stars in the sky, doesn't he? Joseph is not the firstborn, but he will receive the firstborn's blessings as two of his sons will share as a half-tribes in the promises of the twelve. That's how Jacob honors Joseph for doing what he did. 
Joseph, Joseph's life reminds us of God's sovereign plans. We're not accidents. We are not afterthoughts. We are his people. And we are one of, the, we are one of those stars in the skies, in the sky. The moment we are awakened to this reality of Jesus and our belief in him, we take our part in his great plan to save the world. You see it? You see it? We have a famine on this earth. It's a famine of truth. It's a famine of eternity. And you and I are called to go out and share the good news. Joseph's story is a picture of where we live right now. And we could be in the middle of saving and being what Jesus wants to do, to gather a harvest of souls, or we can just drag our feet and get caught up in the the narrative that everybody else is. It's a choice. It's a good choice that Joseph made. It's a choice you can make right now. Amen. Let's stand up this morning. Our last verse I'll read to you. Romans chapter 8. The New Testament pulling it all together for us. And we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers, us. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. The point is, He already sees you in heaven. You're already there in his mind. We just need to finish the race and finish well. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? (laughs) When when it's a done deal in in his sovereign plan, God doesn't need to change. We need to change. Let's bow our heads.